Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. Hey, listeners. Today's show features one of our fall contest winners. But before we begin, Melissa and I would like to thank Katie McDougal and A.M. Ringwald, our prose and poetry judges, for their work in selecting the top entries. We also want to thank each writer and poet who submitted your work for consideration. We received many amazing stories and poems and appreciate the opportunity to read your work. We wish all of you continued success in your writing endeavors. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's feature and one of our honorable mention winners is a selection of poems written and narrated by Delaney Gray. Settle in and enjoy. Flicker Sighting A new roster of fall birds showed up overnight with the rain. They scatter over the front yard, flipping the blanket of faded leaves like determined ladies at a rummage sale. I'm mid-getting dressed when my husband shouts, Is that a northern flicker? I think it is. I rush to the dining window, topless, arms crossed over my breasts like an early 90s Calvin Klein ad, peering at the teeming shifts of wing and tap. There, on the branch, he's pointing into the crowded sugar maple. If it's a northern flicker, we should see yellow under the wings when it flies off. Before the words leave his mouth, the bird in question tilts and whooshes down and away, flashing gold at us like a flag. How much time. How much time in our lives have we spent waiting for running water to reach the right temperature? Thinking this morning about all the ways we lose parts of every day, staring into space while stirring honey into a mug of tea. Especially these last two years, the drawn-out tension of sameness, the low hum of new normal. At night, I sit down to write my diary, and I can't remember a single thing. I petted a cat. I read a message. I splashed olive oil in a skillet and turned the stove knob to medium heat. Somewhere in between these, I let words and thoughts and fears slip from ear to ear, like steam behind an old movie train, and murmured to myself, where does the day go? Ode to the Backscratcher It was kind of a joke when I ordered the telescoping backscratcher as a stocking stuffer, a novelty gift. 
but it stays out on the side table in the living room. My husband emits dramatic moans of pleasure as the spiked plastic draws across the back of his neck. In that low space of night, after turning out the bedroom light, before sleep takes us, when the worst thing I can imagine is getting back out of bed for any reason, he says, I wish the back scratcher was in here. The next day I order two more, one for his desk, one for the bedside table. We pass the telescoping back scratcher back and forth in the dark. Sighs of gladness escape as we scrape scalps, shoulders, the tender skin under our arms. Hibernal projection. It won't stop raining. A high of 38, a 40-hour downpour, 10 degrees away from a blizzard. Instead, the sun has died, fallen out of the sky like a walnut from a tree, and the yards and ditches and intersections are filled with cold water. I'm wrapped in sweaters, slippers, fleece, blankets, and it's not enough. I close my eyes and dig my toes into warm, imagined sand. I shift against pretend plastic webbing of beach chairs and rub in mental sunblock on my toasty shoulders and knees. You'll find my sisters in the night sky. We were nine, seven, and five. Dad would bring us out onto the roof of the woodshed, laying on blankets, covering the rough tar paper, and teach us to identify our family constellations. Dad was the Big Dipper, scooping the stars up like a wide water wheel, and Casey the Little Dipper, a tight cluster tucked into the top of the sky. I was Cassiopeia, out on her rock in the middle of the ocean, waiting for Perseus, a sprawling crooked W. Mom was the only one of us paired with her birth sign, Libra, the upside-down V of her scales, always weighing and balancing what was right, what was good, what was true. Jenny was represented in the sky by Orion, with her belt and her arrow and her hunting dogs scattered out in protection and aggression. Every winter, she shows up again, weapons bared. You've just listened to Flicker Sighting and Other Poems by Delaney Gray. Welcome to the post-story portion of the podcast. I'm Melissa Collings, joined as always by the ever-fabulous J.W. McAteer. Good morning. Today we have Delaney Gray on the show, the author of Flicker Sighting, the poem you just heard, which won honorable mention in our recent fall contest. Congratulations, Delaney. Thanks so much. I'm so happy to be here. We are so happy to have you here. Delaney is a foodie who lives in Nashville. She hilariously describes her post-university writing career as blogging sporadically in her late 20s, which was further reduced to the occasional Instagram caption for the next 10 plus years. But as of 2020, she has really stepped up her writing game and is rapidly making a name for herself in the writing community. So let's find out more. Who is Delaney Gray? Hi, so happy to be here. Um, I live in the Englewood neighborhood of Nashville. We've lived in this house for 14 years as of Yay. this week. Mm. And um, 
we love our neighborhood so much. I live with my husband, Austin. We have three cats and we both work from home. So we have a pretty quiet and routine based life. Mm-hmm. I have two sisters. One lives in the Catskills and one lives in Santa Barbara. So I'm very far away from my family Aww. and my three nephews who are also very far. So um, I love to cook. As we mentioned, I talk about food pretty much all the time. I have a daily food Instagram account called Food Adjacent and I post I love that something about food every day and um i love to read i work for lyft incorporated the rideshare company lyft's um customer service department is based out of nashville and mm. i'm an administrative assistant i support the leadership team who manage the customer service department and i have the best best team in the world so i'm very oh, very great. happy and yeah. lucky to be there yeah. and have been working for from home for them for the last two and a half years so hey quick question before we Go further, because um, yeah. I know the Lyft offices were down on Second Avenue, weren't they? Did, were they impacted by the Christmas bombing in Nashville? They were. Our building is the first building from the bombing site to that uh, was not declared structurally unsound, so they had to completely rebuild it. But it Oof. is it is reopened as of March of this year, okay. wow, and fully functioning. Yeah, it was that was crazy, but it yeah, it meant that there were no awkward conversations about do we or don't we go back in the office the way so many other offices were talking in all of 2021. It was not an option for us. Most of my team was already remote based even before the pandemic. So we pride ourselves on being a remote first company and a remote first organization and try and make um, everybody feel connected to the team no matter where they are. So that's a big priority for us. Yeah. And I never would have chosen to work from home. I never would have said I was looking for a job working from home. Yeah, but uh, I have really gotten used to it. <laughs> yeah, and, our 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 office is back open, but I do not go there <laughs> very often. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people have gotten used to working at home. Sure. It's, it's great. You know, I think it's a great thing. Well, it added so many hours to my day of you know, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the morning routine, the not having to commute, and parking, and all of those things. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm, I'm a much more efficient person from home, that. and yeah, just the flexibility. Yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. (laughs) Excellent. Well, we have so many fun things in in your bio to talk about, so many interesting things that you're a part of that that we'll get back to. But we love to start with the the poem. And the poem that won, Flicker Sighting, can you tell us a little bit about that and like the the inspiration behind it? Sure. The Flicker Sighting is a very literal moment that actually happened in the (laughs) fall of 2020. We are bird nerds. We're animal nerds in general in the Englewood neighborhood. It's just rife with, uh, we have deer and foxes and coyotes and a ton of creatures in our yard every day. Mm. And we really nerd out about the birds and spend a lot of time. We can kind of hear a pileated woodpecker far away and we try and figure out what that is. And so <laughs> I love um, it. we don't see a lot of northern flickers in Tennessee. It's usually on their way um, south for the winter. And so this moment just happens. And I... Um, write a lot about my marriage, my very happy marriage, and uh, just these moments of humor and domestic bliss. (laughs) Trying trying to capture that in a way. I'm sure we would get to this eventually, but I take a lot of writing classes through the porch Nashville, which I know we've had a lot of, you've had a lot of folks from the porch on the podcast that it gets Mm -hmm. referenced often. It's just an incredible asset for us as writers in Nashville and beyond. And um, I'm so, so grateful to those folks. And I would never have considered myself a poetry writer since college. Like I said, I hadn't written a poem since college for sure. And that was mm-hmm. for a class, you know, but 
I took the writing the diary class with A.M. Ringwald last spring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly productive. And um, I already do a daily diary and have for almost 12 years through different apps. I used to use Olife and then it was Olife. And now I use the day one app that every mm. night, every night. And it's mostly just documentation. Like, this is what my day was like. This is right. what I, this is what yeah. I ate. This is what I met with. Yeah. I love, and it shows you what you said in years past. So I've been in the day one app for almost seven years. So, so I can see, oh, wow. you know, wow. it's so interesting That's, to yeah. see like patterns, of, yeah. like, what, you know, what, uh, or how often I will have made the same thing for dinner four years ago is what I'm making tonight. Things like that. Yeah. That's yeah. So, very um, interesting. Yeah. It's super interesting. And it, I love it as a tool. I can also just like verify things for myself all the time. Yeah, I'll yeah. get it in my head, like. Uh, when was the last time we went to that restaurant? And I could look it up, you know, like this, yeah. uh, it's like having Google in my brain. <laughs> the quantified nice. life is what yes, people call yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's very validating. So for AM Ringwald's class, I uh, started a separate diary. I call it my blue diary. It's a different color in the app. And um, I, <laughs> I write something in there every day. M- many times it's a single sentence and I'm griping about something. Or, you know? <laughs> yeah. But I tried to make it more generative to, to make that a creative writing focus of some sort. So all of the poems that I um, submitted for this collection all came from that diary. It, it was a documentation Ooh. of a moment in a day or, a, yeah. you know, something I was ruminating over. And I could just throw it in there real quick without it being this process of sitting down and, oh, today I want to write about X and Y. You know, yeah. it, it, that's um, never been a process. It's been super helpful for me. So. The diary app and the diary class really got me off on a different direction and then started playing just with, you know, a lot of these things I wrote as a paragraph and then just put some artful line breaks in (laughs) and some more now, you know. (laughs) That's that's where the poetry collection kind of uh, stemmed from and the the Northern Flicker poem was also from that, that app that I just threw it in one morning after we had. A little moment over a bird. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I I love it because it does it pulls you into this moment where some people, even if they're not excited about birds, they're going to read this poem and see your excitement, right? Because I, my favorite line is, "I rushed to the dining window, topless, arms crossed over." You know, it's just you know that for you to drop what you're doing, you are excited <laughs> about that bird. You sure. are don't care, and yeah. so that excitement is like. I'm excited about those birds. I mean, I like birds anyway. They're fabulous. Sure. Yeah. No, wouldn't you understand anybody. You also know that the bird might not be there very long. You got to move fast. Yes. You want to see that bird. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you get the excitement. Mm-hmm. You get how special this is all in the actions that you put on the page. Um, and so, and it's something we can relate to. And it's a normal, like you said, how did you describe it? Just, you know, domestic life with your with your husband. And I love that. But it's this captured moment where it's like those moments are what we're living for. You know, it's just right, that's the, the stuff of life that just makes you happy. So this your poetry really makes you happy because you can live in those moments. But it's special. <laughs> Thanks so much. That's great. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I really enjoy kind of the imagery that you produce with very few words. Yeah. And um, in the how much time poem in particular, a couple of my favorites were the, um, I let words and thoughts and fears slip from ear to ear, which I just thought was beautiful. And also like steam behind an old movie train. You know, I just thought that was wonderful. You can totally relate to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was gorgeous. Can you tell us about this poem a little bit? 
I mean, that was definitely one of those that was also just documenting a moment, you know, it's a little meta in that mm -hmm. these are the things I was thinking about while I was stirring the honey into my tea and just thinking, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that kind of that, you know, especially during the height of the pandemic when we really just weren't going anywhere or doing anything and all of the days seemed the same and, yeah, and that I would look around and be like, what did I just do with the last hour? Like I, I just lost, right. I just keep losing time entirely. So yes. that was one of those, just like documenting it as it was happening, kind of, you know, looking around at how different life looked those days. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah, you also, um, the background materials you sent us said you got something published through the Porches anthology that they put together kind of over the pandemic period. What was that called again? The Reckoning was the name the of the Reckoning. anthology. And That's then I right. had, yeah, and it was all, um, it was all Tennessee writers writing about 2020. So mm -hmm. it wasn't even, much of it was pandemic focused, but there was also Black Lives Matter, you know, protesting. There was, there were all other right. people talking about other things that happened in 2020. It was really, really like nicely done, nicely collected into these yeah. varying different, you know, experiences of tragedy and happiness and learning and, you know, so many other experiences during that year so it was it's a really great piece and my piece was a flash nonfiction piece that i had written for susanna feltz's uh flash creative nonfiction class oh yeah it's, um it was called in orbit and it's about uh we developed a, a routine of going out and watching the space station fly overhead at night with the neighbors and there's mm -hmm. an app that you can track when the space station is going to be overhead you can watch it and it's if you've never done it it's this incredible experience of it doesn't look like anything else in the night sky. It's uh, it's transfixing and cool. So I, have to, I, I have wrote, I have an app that could do that. So yeah, yeah, I should, I should yeah. Do that. It's really really neat. Um, once you get in the habit of it, you kind of start looking for it all the time. And in my piece, I wrote, you know, the neighbors. We would be like, "Ooh, that was a really good one." Like if it, <laughs> if it like lined up with the breaks in the trees yeah. and you know things like that. So finding routines and finding like moments of grace and beauty even when everything was super weird and mm -hmm. the the essay is really more about how lucky I was and how guilty I felt for being lucky and being safe and being happy and yeah. you know when yeah. everything was just everything around everybody was having such a hard time and I felt bad that <laughs> yeah, yeah sure yeah so that's um that was that piece for that and that was my first published work at the age of 44 it was a big Congratulations. Yeah, Very exciting. Yeah. Just the beginning, apparently. I Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Well, where shall we jump in next? This is a random question that I have for you, but in, wait, have we finished poetry? Is, should we say anything else? Are there any of the other poems that you would like to talk about or anything particular on some of those? The, um, the piece about my sisters, this, the, about the, um, You'll find my sisters in the night sky. Yeah, the, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The, this is probably this was the one that I had spent the least amount of time working on it as a poem. It's probably more the beginning of some essay work, perhaps Ooh. about um, the mythology of our family and the ways that that sometimes became actual mythology. And um, so this this one I kind of scrapped it together out of a bunch of notes of a lot of things of family writing. So. It's a little bit different in that it's memory based versus, um, you know, this moment that's happening right now. All the, all of my other pieces are based on things that were actually happening during the pandemic and during the last two years in some format or another. But this is hopefully some, you know, places where I'm going to hoping to be digging into future writing. 
Yeah, great. Un- untangling the knots of family legacy. Yeah, and sure, and sure. Yeah. Well, I have a question. I often have this question for poets, but I don't always ask them. And so I'm putting you on the spot me a little bit. But um, so I've, I've taken some poetry courses as well. And like the end of the line, like the last word of each phrase is pretty critical in a lot of ways. And so how do you decide? Is it just sort of a natural feeling that you have? Like what's your methodology for, for doing that? And the reason I say that is because I'll get a lot of poems submitted where they end on of or the or some very weak, you know, pronoun or something, and I don't want to read the next line anymore. And I don't really do that. I don't in a bad way. I mean, everybody's learning and going through this process, and I know I've done that too. But I'm just saying, I'm always fascinated by the line breaks. Basically, sure. Yeah, it's I've seen question. so many. Yeah, I've seen so many where, um, like, I've seen formats where they want to break it before the verb every time, and then if you read, if you were just reading down the first word of each sentence it would be a, a verb like considering it to be like a motion that's moving forward to mm-hmm. it but it can make like I sometimes that seems artificial to me that it can make it can break some beautiful rhythms with the words I agree yeah. yes yeah. I agree so to me it's only I'm never like jumping through formatting hoops when it comes to poetry and mm-hmm. you're the first person who's ever called me a poet <laughs> 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 you just did just now so all right thing. thanks yes you're welcome never never thought about that before but carry um, that title now you can yeah. say it out and about yes <laughs> he said it on the internet so <laughs> yes it, it must is be true. true um but mine is always just about rhythm and the the and to me voice is the most important thing of in, of writing and the thing that I connect to and all the writing that I'm interested in or, you know, connect to or want to be doing. And any time that I feel like I'm shoving myself into a box that's me, that's shifting my voice and rhythms that I would want to be coming through, I kind of try to shake that back off again and want it to be. So it's to me, the line breaks are always where I naturally would pause. There were a few times, especially in the... Um, how much time poem that I ended up adding line breaks where I didn't initially have them mm-hmm. just to make the formatting more consistent through the mm-hmm. poem. Yeah. Initially the line stirring honey into a cup of tea was all one line. And then it just kind of stuck out visually as the poem was printed out, which I don't think about that a ton, but I thought, you know, it's easy it, to me. It's easy enough to break at normal phrases and not have that be super disruptive. Versus, right. versus just letting it look like an oddball statement, unless that's what I really wanted out of that. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm glad to hear that, because that's sort of how I approach it. And I have played with, I mean, I don't consider myself a poet necessarily, but I've played with some poetry. And changing the, the breaks of the words, you know, what it, what it ends on, I mean, it totally can, you know, increase the pace or slow it down. Or, and there's all sorts of factors that come into play, and, it, and it'll read differently. You know, mm-hmm. it's so fascinating, oh, those sure. small little changes and moving a word up a line or something. Sure. And, the, you mm-hmm. know, in general, most people are only approaching poetry from the the written page. And, you know, right. whether whether that's reading it on your phone or reading right. it in a book. But so in the end, line breaks are the only way that we can control the reader's rhythm of absorbing it in some mm-hmm. way. And, yeah. and I would imagine some readers ignore the line breaks completely and just read it like, prose which is you know probably yep, what i what i do pretty close to it you know when mm-hmm. i'm thinking of it so yeah. the line breaks i think are there for those of us who want to dive into it as uh, this whole process of not just the words but the rhythms 
mm-hmm. and the moment and the silence that goes around the words and yeah, yeah I think it's yeah. giving it some impact in different areas. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I also think that it's it's very interesting how you can read a poem. Like you said, if somebody's just reading it as prose, you're going to get a completely different experience as as if you listen to somebody reading it with those line breaks. And so, yeah, and absolutely. I think that those line breaks can draw somebody to a poem and they don't even realize that that's what's doing it. So you yeah. can go back, like you said, JW, you know, I'm not really, I don't want to read the next line versus mm-hmm. wanting to read that next line mm-hmm. just by changing those, changing what's at the end of the sentence. I think that's yeah. so neat. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. My dad is a songwriter. That's yeah. why we live in Tennessee. We moved to Tennessee when I was six because so for my father to pursue songwriting. So I spent a lot of time be. as a child. What'd you say? Oh, I said it's a good place to be for songwriting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not these days, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, Sure. I spent a lot of time thinking about the placement of words and songs and the choices of what order you would put things, you know, like it's songs so often they have to rhyme. So you're really limited by those choices there, but also rhythm being this, like the most important thing in songwriting in some ways. And so um, I think I went about reading poetry as lyrics for a long Interesting. time. Interesting. Yeah. That yeah. is a really fascinating connection. You know, I was I had written a, a musical scene in one of my novels. And I had you know, you can't use lyrics in your novel that somebody else wrote. You know, that's a breach. So you can get in trouble for that. Well I had to make up my own lyrics and I realized it's hard. It's so it's completely hard. different. <laughs> and so yeah, it is like a, that is so interesting that it's, you know, like a form of poetry. And I you think, think about you know, there's so many classic books children's books especially that have songs woven into that or like i think about yeah harry, harry potter i'm a huge harry potter nerd and <laughs> the the sorting hat has the song in every book like that was this whole extra amount of like very different work and very different writing that yeah. is being done there yeah yeah hmm. interesting now colleen hoover writes romance novels mm-hmm. and they're very they're great mm-hmm. she had one that was all about music and there was a playlist that went along with it I listen to audiobooks. I love listening to it. A big surprise since I like narrating things. But um, <laughs> that, that I thought about, she had to coordinate with a songwriter to help her with those lyrics because she put the lyrics in there. And they read so much. They were so differently read versus played because you yeah. could go and listen to the song. And I would think, wow, this is amazing. The difference in just somebody reading it as a narration Versus somebody singing it in the song. Sure. And sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, this is yeah, a that's fun realization. I know. That's cool. Well, and I bet that your your experience of being around your dad, I assume, when he's composing or just kind of having that exposure to lyrics throughout yeah. your childhood is probably one of the reasons you've been so successful so quickly with poetry. In as that a poet? It, you know, I mean, you've absorbed it, right, as a poet. <laughs> so successful as a poet. <laughs> Over the years. Because, you know, I think there is a lot of probably similarities Mm-hmm. Uh, between For sure. the two. Yeah. So. Oh, sure. And that was a big part of growing up. That was a language in our house. Was This was the thing that dad and I did. This was the thing that we we oh. like connected about. And, That's um, cool. He, would, he worked as a carpenter and contractor, and he would come home with, or he would scribe down song lyrics on like chunks of wood scraps that were just like, yes, oh, literally. So That's we so had, we, we had a wall full of um, the scraps of wood with the lyrics written on them. That, that, that was just fantastic. That was an, an important and valid thing in our family growing up for sure. 
I love that. That's decoration too. I mean, sure. I think that would be great. I would just love to put that, you know, just do that in my house. I don't write that, but you know, put a put a poem that you like or a um, a quote on there and just stick it on your wall on a piece of wood. Sure. I think that's fantastic. But sure. my mind works. My mind works that way. I have yeah. I have trees, branches. You are an artist, in my also. House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are a very good artist. I oh, thank add, you. For our listeners. Wow. Thank you. I, I do love that. That shaped part of your path too Absolutely and why true. I think you're very successful at it, it was, it's been a part of you all along even though you might not you know have put it on the page just yet sure. yeah because not everybody can take something that's I don't want to say mundane but you know an everyday scene and mm-hmm. make it pop it takes oh, yeah. a talent to sure. do that you know and to really put yeah. you there and be like yes I relate and and this is the same thing that happened to me but why do I love it so much coming from her sure. you know yeah. That, yeah. that's a talent yeah. I think metaphor is such a big part of that and yeah. you know, word choice, finding ways to point to this is an everyday thing. Yeah. And just as you're saying, recognition to me is so important to writing connection. Like when you're reading something, you get this spark of, yes, I know exactly what she's talking about. You know, yes. right. what, what a joy that is as a yeah. reader. And so uh, to me, that's always my intention is to find something universal to comment on or to, yeah. to call back to in some way. Yeah. Or somebody Great. who doesn't know how to put those feelings into words and you actually put words to their feelings. It's like, sure. yes. Yes. How many times have other authors done that for me? Yes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've written down quotes and books and I'm like, that is exactly it. You know, just <laughs> that is it. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> I love it. Well, we were already at 23 minutes. We're, that's not our warning yet or anything. We have okay. more time to go, but it's been such a fun conversation. Well, let's dig into some of the background info you sent us. And I am curious, particularly about your previous stint, um, since you are a foodie, doing some writing related to food. So talk about that a little bit. I <laughs> and, and published as well. Yeah, talking about food is the best. <laughs> yes, that's my whole thing for sure. Yeah, in like 2005, 2006 or so, there used to be a national publication called The Rage, and then it's called All The Rage, and it was just like, music listings and you know pop culture and things like that and I was friends with the editor she let me write a few single paragraph cd reviews things like that it was this was just me dipping my toe in and I've never had an interest in journalism but this was like creeping on the edge of that in a creative way and um then then I was working at Hatch Showprint at the time the poster printing shop um, oh used to be used to be on Broadway 316 Broadway I worked there for seven years Wow. And, um, wow. watched downtown downtown transform itself from yeah. pawn shops to hockey tonk. And, right. um, but oh, a restaurant God. opened across the street from Hatch uh, for a little while called uh, Casa Bona. It was short-lived and not great. Oh. It was an Italian place. And so I had I had pitched that I could write a review of it. So my, my sisters and my now husband and my brothers-in-law and I all went for a dinner and ordered everything on the menu, wanted to try everything, you know. And it was just, the the waitress was terrible. And so it was, you know, I I mean, it annoys the hell out of me when other people say this, but I I am extremely empathetic. Like, empathy (laughs) just, like, drives me in all ways and kind of ruins my life sometimes. And so I'm I'm trying to, like, write about this truly dismal dining experience, but not, like, ruin their lives and not, like, you know, I didn't (laughs) want to get the waitress in trouble, but she could, like, topping off our wine with, like, different wines. She'd pour a different wine on a glass that had, oh, it was, yeah, my brother-in-law kept, like, gasping when she, (laughs) 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 
So, uh, yeah. It, it, My goodness. Yeah. Um, the fair and balanced, you know, non-biased uh, reviewing, I think, is it's not in my wheelhouse. It was actually, but that was a restaurant review, so kind yeah, of like a food was, critic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of. I mean, they didn't know that that's why I was there, so I guess yeah, that's sure. how that works. But uh, maybe they would have yeah. done better. Done differently, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Undercover. Um, I did get to write a fun piece that was the cover story for an issue of The Rage that was reviewing the new dining options that were going to be available at Greer Stadium, where the National Sounds used to play. Mm-hmm. I used to go see a baseball game almost once a week at Greer Stadium. I loved the National Sounds, and I loved the very grubby, like, hometown feel of that old stadium. I, yeah. miss, it, I miss it so much. So I got to write, like, a fun piece about, like, you know, they're going to have fried cheese balls at this one stand or whatever, you know, but I got to include some fun tidbits about uh, my many years attending National Sounds baseball games. Uh, that's yeah, cool. that was a okay. fun okay. yeah. oh, Very good. So then the follow-up question is, do you ever write about food? Do you have any poetry about food? I write constantly about food, and it's kind of a coincidence that somehow those, none of those were the pieces that ended up being part of this, but I've been working on a series of, I call them like recipe pros, I don't, I don't know. There's, I haven't figured out formatting for them yet, but I write about food constantly, and and that's like for sure my my big focus. And it's the place where I can always find the right words. Like this is, I'm yeah. very very comfortable talking about food. Interesting, and, yeah. And describing it and talking about process and methods and ingredients and all of those things. So I have like, I've been toying with a series of little mini essays that are basically all of the recipes that add up to Thanksgiving dinner, mm. but, but with the family history behind it or, you know, Aww. that's, that's part of my thing is there's no family history for us. We, like there's a little bit, but it, I don't yeah. come from, I don't come from this like cultural background of, you know, there's these women who learned how to make dumplings by folding right. them with their grandmother. <laughs> right. And I don't have any of those stories. So I always, <laughs> there's always just been me, you know, diving in and figuring out and making things over and over again and having these, you know, experiences and the experience of feeding people and bringing joy through food is yeah, like my greatest joy in life. And thanks, Thanksgiving is my high holy holiday. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's definitely where my brain wants to go first. Very cool. Well, there's surely something you can also do with those vintage cookbooks that you collect that was in your background information yeah. as well. That's, yeah. I can't, I'd like to see a picture of that. Yeah, Bookshelf. I have hundred, hundred. I mean, it's not just shelves; it's tower, towering stacks. Of my bag. <laughs> no, we we need to solve some things. But I love, um, I love like the spiral bound cookbooks that every single church put out once oh a year at like a yes. fundraiser or like yeah. schools did. And each one will have like thirteen different recipes for Texas sheet cake, and you know, like these things that you've just seen over and over again. Oh, or there's, yeah. you know, or there's, or there'll be like women like sniping at each other in the liner notes of like. Gladys makes her potato salad with mustard, but mine is better with relish, you know. I love so those. I love it. I love the history of that. And I consider those to be like the the base that you would start any recipe from. Like if, mm. if yeah. those ladies didn't have it figured out, you you better just start there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. So curious, how often do you reference your cookbooks? You have the stacks. Do you go to them, pull them out, look at them? I do. I I mean, I definitely have my like handful of go-to cookbooks that are always out and always being admired. Um, <laughs> J- Julia Child is my 
guiding star. And, <laughs> and if she if she's got a plan for it, I just follow Julia Child and see what you, she said. You probably can't go wrong. Yeah. For loving food and loving to cook, I don't make things up in the kitchen very often. I'm That's not one of those people. Yeah, yeah. I'm not one of those people who goes in and just like throws it together from your pantry. That stresses me out. And yeah. <laughs> my best friend is one of those. <laughs> We constantly will have a lot of like conversations around this, and, which is why she hates she hates baking because she doesn't want to follow instructions. You can't oh, bake yeah. unless you follow instructions. You can't. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. I love yeah. instructions. I love giving instructions and receiving instructions. <laughs> There's a method that I'm going to go with that. And it's going to so, turn out beautifully following your instructions. Sure, but that's the intention of it. Yeah, and yeah. It's to me, the, there's a creative aspect to how best to give an instruction. Yes. In a way that somebody is going to be able to do it. My mom was a teacher for 30 plus years and she used to teach a lesson in her class where the kids would write out the instructions for how to do something really basic, make a peanut butter sandwich or. Yeah. Uh, sadly, we lived in a small rural town where everybody knew how to diaper a baby because there was, a you know, so she would, mm. you would write out these instructions for how to diaper a baby or what. And then she would have the principal come in and follow the instructions exactly as it was written. And screw it all up, you know. Right, and he would put they, the peanut butter right. side down on the table and they'd be uh, like, No, you don't do that. It's like you didn't tell me not to, you know. That's so yeah. Uh, yeah, I think all the time about like the the writing skill of an instruction and how yeah. best to like to capture, but also with respect and the joy of being you know, being in a kitchen and just the you know, yeah. the, there's something so soothing to me about just going in. We made apple crisp one Sunday and just like you go in, you touch the things, you smell the things, you, you know, you're proceeding through the process. And that's, that's great. That too. Yeah. And then you're that's surrounded, cool. like you're smelling the ingredients as you're cooking. But one of the best things about cooking is smelling the food as it's in the oven. That's something warm and comfortable about that. Sure. Especially with apple crisp. Like the whole reason <laughs> to make apple crisp is to yeah. live in the house with the apple crisp smell yeah. for at least I, the next yep. 12 hours. When yes. you said that, that, I was smelling yeah, it. Like that's the first are. thing. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. smelling it. Sure. Well, I think that applies to all baking, of though. Cinnamon, cinnamon, especially, just like it'll, oh, yeah. it, it, it's like a cheat sheet for mm-hmm. how how to make a house cozy for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, bread. So I love the smell of bread. So any kind of baked oh, good, yeah, pretty too. much. Yeah, yeah, that's. I also yeah, love absolutely. to smell peppers and onions cooking. Oh yeah, that's sure. Ooh. Yeah, or garlic and butter. Yeah, yeah. garlic oh, or shallots garlic. and butter. That's our. That's yeah. garlic so and butter. I'll call that my husband like... in and be like, "Come smell the garlic." You know. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Then you mix <laughs> garlic and butter with your fresh bread. Oh my yes. goodness! I don't even eat bread anymore. Sure. Sad, sad a bit of. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I know it's depressing, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, the whole gluten thing. What's well, a whole other conversation? Oh, but. Man. I do love bread and oh man, yeah, the smells. And that's that's something you can really put into your your writing. I think that probably makes you a better writer too, because you love those you're into those details. So mm-hmm. you can describe those details better sure. than the average. Yes, they for, matter. Yeah. Yeah. I think also this was something I was thinking about before this conversation. I I really did step away from writing for a long time. I didn't consider that to be who like I wouldn't have called myself a writer for a really long time. Yeah. And and I could recognize that the times that I was the most generative as a writer, you know, mostly in my 20s is when I had something to gripe about. Like like yeah. I was I was bummed about a guy or I was stressed out about work or that you know there were there were there was so much to write about when I was complaining. Yeah. And I got really happy. I'm I'm happily married. I love my home and I just couldn't even find what there was to complain about anymore and it's not the only thing that we write about is complaining you know 
And so in the last thing to happen, I love hearing it is, I know, right. Sure. I'm too happy to write, but um, I, I worked at the Nashville symphony for seven years and I I had a really, it was a wonderful organization to work for. I came out of there with some of the best people and connections, uh, but I, I was the director of our fundraising events there and there was very high pressure. There was a lot of like, there were many times of year that I was working all, you know, all day and all night. And it Mm -hmm. just, and so I, at that time, struggling with some anxiety around that, I started a gratitude practice of a daily gratitude journal. This is in addition to the diary that I write. Every day I ask myself five questions. What made me smile today? What made me laugh? Today was a good day because what I'm looking forward to and what I'm grateful for. And I make myself answer all five of those questions every day, even if there's not a great answer for that. Mm-hmm. And I, I have literally felt my brain rewrite itself in this process like that that you can always find it sounds so hokey and like so you know woo woo but you can always find this positive lens on things and I think until I started working through that I wasn't going to find new ways to write through joy and through the happiness you know so that's more of my practice these days is focused on these moments of gladness and the moments that I can find words to write creatively about that, where I only used to be able to write creatively about being mad or sad. Or yeah, sure. So it sure. took a while to get there, to get on the other side of that. But I think that the, that's been the process of what, what got me here yeah. now. I'm that's finding great. words every day. I yeah. love that because you said a couple of things is rewrite, rewiring your brain. Cause mm-hmm. I can tell you're a very happy person <laughs> and, and that's, that's great. You know, it, it, it takes, Sometimes being happy takes work. You sure, know, you absolutely. Have to, sure, you have it's to a choice. Your brain. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely. is. Yes, there yes. was a quote that um, Beth O'Leary in the No Show said uh, in in this novel. It's a fiction novel. Loved it, mm-hmm. and I, I stayed in my head. Every day is a good day if you look hard enough. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. So it just cool. reminds me of what you're saying. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. You I know. Been a I know. I know. But we are running up on time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, well, I have I have a favorite question, but we'll skip it this time about <laughs> books that made you cry. But we'd the answer was Black Beauty. Good. Okay, <laughs> thank you. See you good. Yeah, Black, I have very distinct Sydney. memories of absolutely sobbing to Black Beauty. Oh, that's why. For me, oh. it was Old Yeller. Oh, anyway, stop. I, mean, you know, I can't. No, I yeah, can't the dog. Either, yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so our last question, generally speaking, is what advice or resources might you recommend to struggling writers, poets, whatever you want to call them, and or curious listeners for sure the porch has been just an unbelievable resource for me and making myself have that format of something that i have to show up for every week yeah. and accountability roll roll yeah and roll with their curriculum like this is not me trying to just come up with what i need to write about every day like having prompts having structure to it that has yeah. been like the most productive thing and i also my my advice that i give myself every day and would give other readers is to stop waiting for it to be perfect for for mm. the circumstances to be perfect for you to write or for the work that you're working on to be perfect before you send it to send anybody like yeah um you know uh done is the opposite of perfect <laughs> so i agree that's, that's, that's great yeah, that's my that's what i struggle with every day but also try to try to live that life for sure yeah terrific Love it. i mean i still think we have yet to repeat I any know of the advice oh, it's just kind of amazing yeah, over two yeah. years of it's, shows it's always a little bit different it's yeah, so it's been terrific awesome. yeah everybody I comes think it, from a different place and... I know we're at time but I keep thinking about something that Katie McDougall said in your interview with her 
um, about her piece that she was talking about. The book that she's working on was a coming mm. of age for someone who was like 60 or 65. And right. Then, yeah. We all have these different comings of age. You know, mm. I'm that has been stuck in my brain like a like a hook. Like, yeah. like, uh. like I feel very much that writing is a coming of age for me at this, at, you know, yeah. I'm 45 and Aww. just started to figure it out. It's kind I of love cool. that. All right. Well, Delaney, thank you so much for submitting your work and letting us share it with the world. We've been so happy to interview you and learn about you, and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Definitely Great. has been. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyx publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing.